Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Hello, good afternoon. Welcome back to the Beauty Archeo, your comedy fashion history podcast, broadcasting live on full service radio here at the Line Hotel in DC. I am your host, Professor Noir, and I am here with my guest, Cassidy Duhan, photographer, artist, conceptualist, personality. Terrible drag queen. Terrible drag queen. Terrible. The makeup's <laughs> not good. Hello, but, girl. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, this is really, I'm really happy to have you here. I know. Usually we just do this in your living room, but now we get to do it in this fancy glass box. Yeah. So Cassidy yeah. is a really fabulous photographer. Um, he mostly does wedding photography and has a really amazing wedding photography business. Um, I have known you since I was 25. Yeah. 25. Right. Yeah. Like I had my 25th birthday at his place. So randomly. 35 years ago. So like at least 27,000 years ago. That's right. <laughs> and... Um, being a performance artist that I am, Pussy Noir, and always getting photographed, this young man um, has photographed me many, many times. And I, talk about your work a little bit. So, yeah, like I've done weddings a minute, lots of weddings, but now I'm more about commercial portraits. And exactly. I, and I also, I enjoy just taking somebody, pushing their comfort zone, being like, you're going to sell this book, but you're going to have to jump up and down to do it. <laughs> um, no, I like, I like doing the thing I always do with weddings where I'm like, you look good. Hair and makeup's going to be proper, but we're going to push you to actually do things, interact, feel something, and then hope that shows up. On camera. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just want to say for people who have not seen your work, it always shows up on camera. Well, because I like to surprise people. Yeah. I mean, you were in a photo shoot with me once where we just set off smoke bombs behind you. Yeah. And then we didn't really tell you about it. And we, no, no, there was just no. smoke everywhere. No. There was another photo shoot where you did tell me, um, and I was um, on a rooftop. Oh, yes. Of a very tall building. The third uh, floor. What is it? The um, Wonder Bread Factory. The Wonder Bread Factory. I was on the rooftop of the Wonder Bread Factory on the top, 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 top of the building, like on the beam of the arched roof. Yes. And my friend was hanging onto your leg in, so that we could drape your beautiful long red dress from China in, down the building off the side, but not have you fall off to your death. In Gale Force Wind, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like you put me in some positions where I could have died. I mean, and I'll do it again. <laughs> Well, that goes into the amazing part about what we're doing today and what we're going to talk about, which is fashion photography. Yes. And the, you know, the LGBT presence in fashion photography. But mm. before we get there, I always like to do a little, just kind of like open it out, clean out the closet, closet clean of news and thoughts and feelings, mostly not feelings, but thoughts. Yes. <laughs> and especially news that has happened in the week before, since I've been here. Put those thoughts in tiny here. Japanese boxes you overpaid for. I like it. Just thoughts, you know. Yeah. Just I like to think about my thoughts, RJ. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're listening. Um, but there's been some crazy news, and it's not all good. And, you know, I'm going to just say it out there. Juicy Smollett, 
He's been indicted. He's Would you put, call him Juicy? Yeah, Jesse. 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 I like to call him Juicy. I like Juicy Smollett. I like Juicy. I'm just she, saying. I went to high school with her. Juicy Smollett. I like Juicy. Like, she is, she's in some hot water. She is in some hot water. She's in some hot water. And, like, that career, that name, I don't know if he's ever going to get a job at McDonald's after this. No. Uh, and it's, it's interesting that, and, of course, this is someone who... Uh, paid to stage a hate crime against himself. Allegedly. Uh, you well, know because what? Apparently, I'm going to go for it. Well, yeah. because apparently the FBI said that he had nothing to do with it. Well, I, I'm not. Well, okay. You know so what? So that's why I'm just like, there's a lot going on it's right now. It's good to be innocent in a court of law, but I, Judge Judy's court and my court doesn't have to find him uh, innocent right now. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. That's fair. Throwing that out there. There's a lot of alleged happening. Yes. Um, well, allegedly he... he beat himself to get attention for his career for his career which pretending is, it was a hate crime perpetrated by uh, MAGA folks by like Republicans with nooses well also apparently that was the Chicago police said it was people in MAGA hats he didn't say that originally that's fair that's fair so again like there's a lot going on with this case and it's just so sad to see because the ramifications, the blowback, and it's something I think that a lot of us fear. One is LGBT people, and then me as a person of color. It's just like, are we ever going to be believed, you know, when things do happen, when people yes. are attacked? Yes, and it's something where you wonder if he did do this, that is it a much worse crime because it's a crime in which he has perpetrated it either by accident or through sloppiness against his own communities. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Which oh. is what I've always found kind of worse about this. Like, there, there are many people perpetrating many frauds, right? Yeah. But this is something where I'm like, you have Bernie, uh, we're hurt talking your about own people. You. Bernie Madoff, we're talking about you. <laughs> yes, old news, but yes. Yes, uh, still news. Okay. Still news. Still news. Elizabeth Theranos, we're talking about you. All right? <laughs> she may be old news, but she's still news. Fair. Perpetrating, Fair. perpetrating. Well, there's also some, like, good news. Oh, I like good news. There's some good news. Um, let me pull it up because, like, I am not good with... Let's um, get off a sip of this LaCroix. Like, get... Ooh, yeah, get a sip of your LaCroix. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about LaCroix while I look this up really quickly? Oh, absolutely. You, you mean them, the most important news can items? Can we tell them, like, yes. your relationship with LaCroix or LaCroix, as you yes. found out, LaCroix? I once did a video as a joke for my boyfriend in which I posed with water in bad drag and just said, and I'm so glad I have a nice microphone to do it, LaCroix, <laughs> LaCroix, over and over again. And though the video is lousy in 15 seconds. <laughs> and it creepy. Has, it's a little and creepy. creepy. It's a little creepy. creepy. Um, it kind of looks like Carl Lagerfeld's ghost. It does. In retrospect. Um, like Carl Lagerfeld and Busted the Drag Queen had a baby and it was LaCroix. That's it. <laughs> two million views. It's up to two million views on all platforms now. Is it two million? Two million. Meanwhile, um, I've done full on art films with Beautiful Direction. and I'm still waiting for views. Oh, this is my thing all the time. And this will tie into our photography conversation. Do stupid I've been, shit? I've been make, yeah, do stupid <laughs> shit because I've been making, you know, good work. Yeah. professional work beautiful beautiful using real cameras and real people for a while expensive stuff expensive things and the i mean the thing that will i will never have a hit as successful probably as my 15 second w- water related video <laughs> that i was not paid for and the lacroix corporation officially said mm, maybe don't make a follow-up but they, but yeah. we'll send you a lifetime supply. It was a one-year supply. It's a lifetime. It, well, for most people, regular people, <laughs> that would be a lifetime. But for gays, 
Um, no, that's just like four parties. It's a lifetime if you drink real slow. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a it's really just four parties worth of mixers. Yeah, Lacroix <laughs> said we won't pay you, but we will pay you in water. And I'm like, you know what? Great, I'll do drag for water. And I want to say that people don't know that people who are just strangers to us that don't know this about Cassie, but he throws the most amazing parties where it's just friends that get together or big parties. He's a very, very, not just in photography, but a very creative person just in life. Thank you, and baby. You are. You throw some really crazy parties. I mean, like, you know, Sperry Fairies that, you know, you did that collab with with some of our other friends. Which is our, our drag camping in the woods event. Our drag camping in the woods, our own private Idaho, but not in Idaho, thank God. That's right. Um, although I'm not coming for Idaho, I just won't go there. I'm coming for a little bit. I yeah. like your potatoes. Uh, <laughs> But also just like just parties in general, like, yeah, you know, just like when we ha- when you have the sundress fest, you know, I set up parties so Pre-party. that we can have a great photo shoot within that party. It's always about the that photos. Is not, it is for me. It is. Right? It's always about the photos. And, and these are usually photos that I'm just doing for funsies. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, it's one thing to set up a photo shoot, but it's also even better to set up this whole scene where people interact and you slowly sneak up the idea that, you know, as you get real comfortable Mm -hmm. and reel into your sundress or whatever you're wearing, bubbles sitting all nice in the stomach. That's right. You know, just marinating up in your gullet. Not just gas. (laughs) Or maybe it is. Um, that, that's when you get the camera out and you're like, okay, like now you're ready to do something uninhibited and interesting. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, you're not posing so much as you're just within the scene that I have created for you. And you always bring that out. You always, Thank always you. bring that out. So I actually found what I was going to say. Go on. I know with all the tangents, but I do have some really, really awesome news. And this has been in the works for some time. And the Hershorn Museum, they oh. do... Fabulous parties, and they do two galas a year. Um, and this one, they do one in the winter and one in the spring summer. And this one this year will be in the summer on June 15th. It will be entitled Surrealness. It is the first annual Hershorn Ball. And when I say ball, we've all heard of the Met Gala at this point. We are very familiar mm. with the Met Costume Gala. And you know, a lot of us, a lot of creative people in D.C. have always wanted to express that in a very big way as well. You know, coming to a big party, dressing and experiencing life through another form of existence, another form of image. And this ball is going to allow everyone in D.C. that wants to come to do that, to dress, to express, to, you know, become the fantasy you've always been. Yes. And to, you know, become something surreal. And I'm very excited to announce this, and I really hope everyone comes. And it's um, you can look it up on the Hershorn website, hershorn.si.edu. And again, it's first annual Hershorn Ball, June 15th, 2019 at 7.30 p.m. I, Professor Noir, will be hosting. I'm, you know, part of the team planning this entire thing. Um, Anna Latour, a really famous uh, trans performer, will be hosting. Um, Joanne Fabrics, who... Not Joanne Fabrics. Joanne Fabrics, who... You were able to afford her booking fee? I am able to afford her booking fee. It's you had $10 and a gift certificate to McDonald's? Girl. Yeah. It was hard to scrounge up, but I did it. I know her. I saved I my say penny. That. I saved my pennies. That's right. Um, and Joanne Fabrics is a fabulous DJ that throws a uh, monthly party at Trade that you actually come to quite often as Latavia Laquan host. I host it. Yes, you do. And it's a party called Glam Box where people pull out clothes. Uh, it's just like... Dr- Big boxes full of drag, and then there's a spontaneous runway show and competition. So you must assemble a beautiful look in a set period of time from cast off horrible clothing from the basement <laughs> of trade, the gay bar on 14th Street. <laughs> 
And there and, and there's a walk off in which we judge you and it's mean. But yes, that's it okay is you. because uh, you do it's like fashion. It pulled out of a box 20 minutes ago. You know, so the, we're good. The stakes are very low. So low. There aren't even no stakes. That's how low they are. But uh, you know, you're, you're Hershon Gala. That's, don't get it twisted, children. That's high stakes. This is high stakes. This high is high stakes. fashion. High fashion. Like we want everyone to just like raise it up, pull it out of the closet, make something, be the fantasy you've always wanted to be. This is not a Halloween party. Do not get it twisted. <laughs> yes, and the most important part of doing anything... Creative black tie, you know? Creative black tie. You know what? Even if it looks not good, and I hope it is, but if it's not, do something to gag those tourists down there at the Smithsonian. Do stuff. it. Make yeah. it legal, but do it. Keep it... Keep it, I, I like that. Keep, keep your cookie in your pants. Keep your cookie in your pants. But do gag the tourists. Yes. That's keep, a personal Keep the motto. hot dog in the bun, but do gag the tourists. Indeed. Well said. <laughs> so, yes. Everyone, please come, and I'm going to be so excited to see everyone there. It is going to be... The most amazing event. It's going to be the event of the year. It mm-hmm. really is. It really, really is. Um, but some other people are going to be there. Um, Betty O'Hellno from the Baltimore, like Queen of Baltimore, really good friend of mine, is going to be hosting. The House of Sonique will be doing some oh. curated performances. I have photographed them. I like them. They are really amazing um, Vogue drag queer art house that has gained a lot of notoriety, you know, in downtown DC and they're doing great work. So yeah. And if perhaps you're someone like myself, who's a semi-educated white person, (laughs) get into the ball scene, get into the idea of Paris is burning of the movie, the queen look, look up the history, the long and storied history of ball scene culture. And and this is a new form of that. And I will add into that. Look up what's currently going on with ball scene culture, because it has expanded to a multi-generational multi-ethnic scene Mm -hmm. and it's very and then also other types of dance that are involved in the ball culture have come out of that uh whacking whacking i know even i know about whacking yeah like this is so please get into it it's very interesting how this communication translates all over the world and we definitely will be having an episode about that on the beauty archeo at some point i just gotta find the right guest for that because i can't just have any old body we'll talk about that yeah we're gonna talk about that because i know some legendary queens Mm -hmm. i know some new queens but um let's take a little break Okay. Let's take a little hot break, and then we're going to really get into this show, because we're going to talk about some fabulous photographers, people. This is the Suede Remix by Keto. That's K-I-E-D-O. For more information, visit fullserviceradio.org. We'll be right back. All right, people, we are back. This is the Beauty RKO, your comedy fashion history shady podcast. I'm your host, Professor Noir. By the way, you can always follow the Beauty RKO, not just here live on Fridays, um, but you can also follow me online. The show is all the way up, all the way, always up on full service radio after Fridays. And I have two platforms. Um, Facebook, we have a Beauty RKO group where 
there's always discussion happening. I like to post a lot of like archival footage, runway shows, even just photos of fashion from like back in the day, all the way to antiquity, and even news that I find out about, you know, even just history. So please, people, engage in the conversation. The reason why is because with everything that goes on in this world now, I think people really forget about that we have gone through this as a people in the past. And knowing what you should have learned from from the past, I think will really help us move on in the future. So please engage in these conversations. As well, I am also on Instagram, like every smart person. And it's the Beauty RKO on Instagram. I post a lot of photos, mostly a lot of the photos from the ep- that week's episode. So the photos and some of the things we're going to talk about today will be on the Instagram. So check it out. So, And I'm Cassie Tahan. Semi-noted photographer and general liability. And I'll be <laughs> helping Pussy, uh, De- or Jason, what are we going by? Professor Noir. Professor Noir. Professor you Noir. You Pussy, though. Every, you, know, you know, people do. <laughs> I'll be helping Professor Noir uh, run, down, run down the history of fashion photography as it relates to LGBT people. Yes, yeah, so this show is titled Gays on Film. Just letting you know, I know that title could be a little limiting to the LGBTQI community. I specifically wrote Gays on Film for this reason. We're going into the history of the gay LGBT presence in fashion photography. A lot of it is very polarized, where it is very gay male images or lesbian female or feminized lesbian female images. And that's why I wrote that title like that. And I really thought about that before even writing the title because I wanted something that was inclusive. But I also have to remember that the history is not inclusive. We are in the inclusive period now, where it is now queer photography. Mm-hmm. So let's get into that. Um, a really famous. So. Fashion photography, just to give people a little bit of context about fashion photography, fashion photography was an art form developed out of photography in the early 1900s um, by first seen in Vogue. Um, and in the, in the early 1920s, first seen in Vogue. And what it was is that designers, they were, Vogue was trying to figure out a way to shoot the clothes but then also promote the clothes so that they are giving more of a story. As well, at the same time, Vogue starts switching from photographing socialites to photographing actresses. So actresses were were able to give the clothes more life. They gave it character. And from there, you started to see clothes being shot in lighting, not just as a portrait or a flat sketch, which is what you saw a lot of the times, especially in Vogue in the early days. They're really just flat sketches or illustrations. You started to see clothes coming to life with lighting, with sets. And then the photographer's eye really focused on the structure, the architecture, and the integrity of the personality of the clothing and that model. So with that little bit of context about fashion photography, and that's a little abstract. That's my own little Sarah Lawrence way of saying it. No, it's good. Um, oh, wait. I just got rid of the page. I love iPads. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I'm coughing. Um, one, of our, one of the most noted fashion photographers of our time and one of my favorites and I think one of your oh, favorites, Cassidy. Oh, because right now, like you should even look at us in this studio right now. You always love a t- you know I love talking about an outfit. So right now Describe my look, girl. Describe your look, look, goes look as that, follows. What am I giving you? So you are giving me from H to T neck tattoo of a fern mm-hmm. <laughs> that will permanent. never go away. Yeah. Permanent. I like to call this pot leaf, but it is a fern. Rude. Yeah. <laughs> a um printed Fleur, Italian Fleur de Lis, very like Dolce Gabbana from like spring 2006 revival kind of shirt, t-shirt, short sleeve t-shirt mm-hmm. with uh, both like aqua green, royal blue and light blue accents in it. And then white jeans that are John Galliano, 
someone said he's a brilliant asshole. I will second that, but I still love him. John Galliano vintage jeans from when he had his newspaper phase in the 2000, in like 2003, fall 2000, spring 2003. Right. And so they're, um, they're um, skinny jeans. And it's the newspaper print with John Galliano right on the butt. And then, ooh, and then like a nice like cowboy duster ankle boot. Yes. Happening here. A, a vintage boot. A vintage boot. A sensible vintage boot. And you know what you look like? You look like David LaChapelle. I look like David LaChapelle, or I looked like, you know, I look like uh, I told people I went to Miami, but I actually went to Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> like you went, you said you went to Vegas, but you really got your hotel in Reno. Exactly. <laughs> and, and both are true at the same time. But speaking of David LaChapelle, yes. one of both of our favorite photographers, please tell us your love about him. Tell us a little bit yes. about him, Cassidy. Now, first, David LaChapelle is not David Chappelle, the comedian. Very different. Very different. Wikipedia disambiguation on that and, one. And Wikipedia will tell you that. They will tell you. They will link them. I saw the, I saw the link. Uh, David, <laughs> David LaChapelle is a well-known fashion photographer who really, I think his work most speaks to me from the Rolling Stone era. Exactly, yes. Um, when he was doing portraits of largely famous musicians. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you even looked at a billboard or bought an album between like 95 and 2010 mm-hmm. of a top 40 artist... He probably did it. Um, yes. He's done well-known pictorials of Lil Britney Kim, Spears. Lil' Kim. That Lil' Kim one was good. Was it DMX? He I, did DMX. That DMX one. He's also done, you know, like what were less conventional choices. He did uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. He's someone that really, like, it, it's very evocative, overly sexual imagery Amanda in an intentionally Lepore. exaggerated way. Sorry, I just had to throw, I just, it just, like, it literally came to me like a light bulb, Amanda Lepore. Yes. Very famous photos of Amanda Lepore. And young kids, like, Amanda Lepore, f- like, famed drag queen and trans performer. Yes. Um, I think she's a just trans performer. I don't consider her a drag queen. That's yeah. very true. I think she does a drag style art to her performance. Yeah, a drag style, high burlesque art for, like, yes. style, but she is a trans Absolutely. entertainer and personality, someone who I've met several times and is remembers me and um, I mean my name, the stage name is Pussy Noir you can't forget that um, but she's very sweet and Dave Chappelle is re- or Dave Chappelle I guess, Dave <laughs> we Chappelle. already did it we, we already, already did, did it, it. you we know we're gonna do it. right David LaChapelle LaChapelle she was known in her own right in the New York club scene Amanda Lepore but uh-huh. David LaChapelle is the person that pushed her toward commercial editorial work yes so she went from doing you know hosting at clubs in New York in the 80s and 90s to doing commercial editorial campaigns. And I will say that is and I say that is because and I'll take over and say I think that's because of David LaChapelle's style. Mm-hmm. Now just to give you a little context about his background, David LaChapelle, thank you Wikipedia when I'm about to read this. David LaChapelle was born in Hartford, Connecticut to Philip and Helga LaChapelle, his sister Sonia and brother Philip and Sonia brother Philip. His family lived in Hartford until he was 9 years old. He has said to have loved the public schools in Connecticut and thrived in their art program as a child and a teenager, and he struggled with being bullying growing up. Girl, I feel you. Mm-hmm. Fuck bullies. By the way, bullying, don't let me get on bullying. That's, a, that's another episode, but yes. It's a, it's a visceral episode for mm-hmm. me. Uh, he then moved to Raleigh, North Carolina with his family where he lived until he was 14 before moving back to Fairfield, Connecticut. Ooh, he was real white girl. That's true. White is upbringing. Still is. It still is. I mean, well, eight faces later. Still white. Still white. Um, he was bullied in North Carolina school for being gay. And when he was 15, he ran away from home to become a busboy at SU 54. And that yeah. is when David LaChapelle started becoming David LaChapelle. And that's when he started meeting people he would later photograph yeah so i watched an interview with him um before i came because i love i love watching interviews of celebrities i really that's where you really get 
the story about people. Yes. Watch the interviews with people. Watch the interviews with like these historical icons and figures if you can find them or read interviews or read what they wrote. You really get a lot from that instead of just reading kind of like just a general biography or just looking at their work. You get a lot more. But he said really interesting. He had he had his roommate at the time who, was a, who became a friend of his. She worked at CBGB's and he moved downtown down to like the East Village. So she worked at CBGB's really famous punk rock legendary fucking club. I mean, mm-hmm. legendary club is not open anymore, but legendary. I mean, everyone who was in rock and roll went through CBGBs. Um, and he was a busboy to Studio 54. And at the time in the 70s in New York, the club worlds were very, very split. I'm doing a lot of arms, people. I know, it's lovely. Like, you're like watching, I'm like giving you shoulder and arm and Good like hands. It's an audio are, medium. I know, and hands are everywhere. And, um, but the club wars were very, very split. So like the CBG people did not go up to the 254. That's right. And the 254 did not go down to CBGBs. Every now and then in the, in the wonderful world of cocaine, people would become friends. Or like a lovely Quaalude breakfast, people would become friends. <laughs> the mixing of the high and low would occur. Would occur. Over a lovely Quaalude breakfast. You know, oh, yeah, exactly. Um, but it was interesting because he was one of those people, one of those figures that did mix the two. Mm-hmm. So he loved being in both places. And he was very inspired by those places. And he started shooting friends and the things that he saw and the environment that he was in both Sioux 54 and CBGB's. What came out of that is this exuberant action photography to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of uh, color and life, even in a place as dark as CBGB's, in a place that is as, uh, or moody as CBGB's, in a place that can get as dark as Sioux 54. There's a lot of color and life coming out of it. At the same time, going into the 80s, we are in the AIDS crisis of the 80s, and he is very much so, you know, one of those young downtown New Yorkers that is affected by it. Friends all around him, his entire place is like dying off very quickly from the AIDS crisis. His work started to change, and he wanted to create things that were uplifting. From there, you see work that is incredibly, incredibly colorful and vibrant and so full of life. And you see hot pinks and oranges and blues, and they're electric, every single one of them. And that is where I think we get into Amanda Lepore and mm-hmm. people like her because he did it. He created an aesthetic in which people that like Amanda Lepore, where people thought she looked like a cartoon character because she's very over-exaggerated and extremely beautiful, but on a very, very high level that's not easy for you know, honestly, the the common mind to really grasp or the common eye to really grasp, he put it in a context in which people were attracted to it and so they started to grasp it. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're talking about where there was that mix of high and low, that downtown versus uptown culture, you see that reflected in his work heavily. Ex- you see very famous people mixed in with porn stars, circus performers. Yeah. Like... And, and, and it being a very forced interaction. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, there's somebody, you know, stunting in the background. It's, it's like you might get a celebrity half naked and they have to put their feet on someone that, that they wouldn't even hang out with at the club at the time. Yeah, they have to put their entire shoe in this person's mouth. And then, you know, and then that was captured in a beautiful and surprisingly, for what this sounds like, understated way. You don't see his images really being about, you know, pornography or penetration. You see them being about just the mix of people that wouldn't otherwise be in the same space. Exactly. And I think what's really interesting, too, is that it wasn't just the mix of that. He created fantasy from the get go. Mm -hmm. So even in his early work, I'm trying to pull some of it up now because I thought I saved it. But even in his early work, there's a photo 
that I found. I really thought I saved it, but it is of a young man. I think it was a friend of his, and he's by a lake holding, it looks like a a ball of fire almost, yes. or smoke or something. It's a very early photo of his. It's in a mundane place. He didn't set this the scenery, but he elevated that scenery. So the lake itself is really, really blue. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 sunlight that's coming from this golden sun makes all the grass, the golden grass, look like it's on fire. The person's skin is almost like a reddish orange and is glowing and is like emanating from it's the photo. It's that kind of beauty that threatens to get ugly. It's where you're turning up the volume so much that it's almost too much and terrible. Exactly. That's his aesthetic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's a, an aesthetic where, yeah, it can get just it's like... It's very glamorous, but it's on the verge of being grotesque, pornographic. Like, it, it, it has a way of almost hitting a place of complete uncomfortability. Yes. Which I love. But it also is a thing that, trans, that transports you. Because his tableaus are so well thought out. Um, He is a photographer that still really uses sets, Mm -hmm. which we've kind of seen disappear a lot more nowadays. And not just like a background and some really good lighting. I mean like full-on set construction. Building a house to burn it down for a photo shoot. But I did, in this interview that I saw, he said that he does like to recycle sets. He does like to be... Price conscious, well, <laughs> which I respect. You know, which you know he's still an artist. Yeah, yeah, he's still a downtown kid. He's like, girl, I will DIY this. That's true. He's like, I have used this set twenty times. I have painted it. <laughs> he's also someone that I, I think he explores the line between uh, worshiping something in a good way and fully exploiting it. Yes. And my my favorite example of that is he took a photo of Britney Spears that came out in 1999, and this would be Britney Spears when she was. The photo came out when she was 18 years old. We'll get into why that was in a minute. Yeah. Um, and this is on the cover of Rolling, of Rolling Stone. Of Rolling Stone. I, I love how you know the one I'm talking about. Too. Well, because this is the, I mean, one of the most iconic yeah. photos of Britney Spears ever created. So it is It is a... And remember, this is Britney Spears when she had just come out with Hit Me Baby One More Time. She's doing that Catholic schoolgirl Lolita thing. Pull it up. We're yep. looking at it now. Now, that's just... one of them. And that is the, from the same Rolling Stone series. The photo that I am thinking of most... And I think this is the one that I always think of when I think of David LaChapelle. It is Britney Spears in booty shorts. They say baby on them. White, semi-transparent, rhinestone booty shorts that say baby. She's wearing a crop top kind of thing. She's Not only is she a teenager in the photo, she is styled to look younger. She has pigtails. She has little girl type looking makeup. Uh-huh. And she is holding a bicycle that is for like... A, an eight-year-old. Yeah. Yes. Oh, she's, yes. She's turning around to look at the camera like, oops, daddy caught me. I and remember this. This photo was, and here's the tea on this. It is rumored this photo was taken when she was like 14, 15. Uh-huh. This was actually a promo photo for, from before she released the album. And her people were like, oh, girl, we can't put this out till you're 18 because we might get arrested. <laughs> and it's well, not, you know... Like, well, thank no, you, Hollywood, for thinking about your legal ass. <laughs> there's, no, there's no part showing. There's no, that's the photo. Yep. Um, there's no, like, there's nothing really explicit from a body part standpoint, but it is this idea of exploring the relationship be- between are you exploiting a child, well, let which me, is horrible, or are you commenting on well, the exploitation Well, of let me explain this uh, photo fully. This photo was taken outside probably around, I want to say, 7 or 8 o'clock at night, so it's dusk. Mm-hmm. The light, the sunlight is just going down behind the houses. It's definitely in a very, you know, it's like in Encino or something, like the most common neighborhood, mm-hmm. suburban neighborhood you can ever think of in California. Britney Spears, she is face, her back is to you. 
Her head is turned just and her chin is resting on her shoulder. And she has that look, that completely seductive look. Choppy bangs are just over her eyes, just sitting right over her eyes. And her hair is very long and choppy going down her back. She's wearing a hot pink Mm -hmm. um, rayon, not like rayon spandex halter top, plastic pink bangles, like stacked bangles. Yes. The white shorts do say baby and rhinestones in mm-hmm. big letters right over the butt. The white shorts are also cut just so, so there's almost a little hint of underbooty. And then the bike matches the outfit, where it's a hot pink and white with a basket, little girl's bicycle. So I'm just describing the whole yeah. thing so everyone understands. that. And it's funny because... You know, like someone could look at this and say, oh, even the photographer was like fucked up for doing this and like so gross. He's been accused of that. And he's been accused of that. No, David LaChapelle, the great thing about him, he knows what he was doing. He was showing Britney Spears how she has been marketed the entire time. Exactly. That's what I believe, too, that is a comment on the exploitation that was already taking place. That was already taking place. And even in the cover, the Rolling Stones cover, which we shall also talk about and describe that, Mm -hmm. we have to describe that. I mean, because this is iconic. She is in, again, hot pink she's in a hot pink satin sheets like silk sheets bed also i need to get this pink yeah it's it's a good look for you it's a good pink it's a good, it's a good pink. pink i need a, i need a sexy bed you guys i've been thinking about she's that she's on a landline telephone she's giving you kind of a late night phone sex ad call me never kind of look hair is like brushed sweats to the side laying out on the sheets her shirt is wide open she's wearing a black bustier and these like photos wonder bra were published when she was 18 remember that they she may have been 14 in this shot yeah um i personally don't think she was i think she definitely is 18 um but she is also like her she's wearing a white shirt like that's button down shirt that's wide open and then black and white and what's she holding and she oh and she's holding a purple Teletubby. She's holding a children's stuffed animal. Was this Tinky Winky? It was Tinky Winky. It was Tinky Winky. Who was also like problematic actually at that time, remember? I do. There was a rumors about Tinky Winky being like too Tinky Winky. Yes, it was a rumored to be gay stuffed animal from yesteryear, but to me it's just that like she's holding a child's toy, like a young child's toy, which is again that thing of like, are we sexualizing a minor here? No, well, I think the thing is, is I think what he did is that he showed us. What, especially what we're dealing with in Hollywood right now, what these executives have been doing is sexualizing yes. these children. It's commentary on exploitation more than it is exploitation. It is. And it's interesting because I even, I, I, I was thinking about this too in terms of thinking about the arguments with Me Too and the discussion and everything. I'm just like, it is very difficult in an arts-based industry to separate that intimacy, but we are having the discussion about consent nowadays. And I think that is what separates it more than anything. Yes, you know, it's and also just on the level of taste is like, is this necessary? Yes. But I think what he did in this photo, and I think at the time this was necessary. To a I certain, agree. I think that this show. I think he, and even more so, because when this was taken, it was not Britney Spears had been around. I think for probably like two years. Mm-hmm. So when Britney Spears came out that same year, you had Jessica Simpson, you had Mandy Moore, who was like just as Lolita as this. Correct. And I think he was commenting on what we were doing to the girl next door and like what that actually meant and the sexualization. And that had always been there in America of the sexualization of the girl next door. Yes. And it's also it's worth noting that he's someone that unlike some of the other photographers we're going to talk about today, he is someone that is not known to have a problematic history. While his work is very sexual and does cross maybe a taste baseline, 
he is not known to be an assaulter, a harasser, Mm-mm. to our knowledge and to our Googling. Yes, and to, and to our Googling. And to our Googling. Um, I will, but also, not to lose track, he's an LGBT, he is a, a gay photographer, you know, really putting out a lot of images. A lot of his early work dealt with gay subjects, a lot of his later commercial work, not as much. However, I think, and this goes into the next photographers, but this, I think this happens when you are a gay photographer, you still want to get a message out there. And that he put a lot of homoeroticism, sorry. You got this. Into his commercial work. So not only with women did he like over-sexualize, but he over-sexualized men. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I would say he was incredibly equal opportunity about this. Very equal opportunity. And was also, as per the Amanda Lepore conversation, Amanda Lepore being someone who has self-described her look as cartoonish, he put her face out there as an out public trans woman Mm -hmm. who was not conventionally styled, let's put it that way, Mm -hmm. right? And she was then on the face of a swatch campaign. Yeah. So he put in 99 a trans woman who wasn't giving you mainstream America on watches in malls across the country. Yes. That watch was called Time Trans Woman, but we used the short form then. This is the official company title of the watch. What was it? Time Trans Woman. But we used the short version of Trans Woman that we do not say anymore. Oh. That's right. Oh. And that was was the, the marketed product. That's weird. Yes. I have to look that one up because I missed that one. It's a collectible item. It's worth thousands on eBay. Oh my god! I want to make sure it's worth tens. I keep trying to buy one. <laughs> um, and I was gonna. Say, oh, um, also something that David Lachapelle did that I really think is very interesting that people were not doing in fashion. He shot Negroes. <laughs> well, he get into shot that. black people in a very interesting way because it was during like the late, it was during like the mid to late or early to mid nineties and late nineties where hip hop, rap, R and B really like got to the forefront. It was the music everyone was listening to. It still is. It still is. And a lot of these celebrities like Tupac. Biggie, you mm-hmm. know, Lil Kim, Foxy Brown. Um, these are people that are very much so iconic for the black community and yes. for the young black community especially. And so, you know, he he utilized them a lot and shot them. I mean, he loved shooting Lil Kim. I mean, there's a lot of work with her. Yes. A lot of work with her. One of my favorites, there's this photo of her with, she's like, I think she's like almost, is that, no, that's not Lil Kim. That's not Lil' Kim I'm Are thinking. you thinking of the photo where Lil' Kim looks like a blow-up doll? Yes, that's what I'm so, thinking of, yes. I got you. Yes. It is Lil' Kim truly looking like a blow-up sex doll, and it is, again, on that line of, is this exploitive of a woman and of a black woman, or is this, and remember, this is like late 90s, early 2000s Lil' Kim when she's just rapping about dicks all the time. Uh-huh. I'm like, or is this, you know, someone really listening to an artist and saying, this is the image you wish to portray, I'm going to accurately, you know, Make your vision a reality. Exactly, exactly. And I want to like not hold us up too much talking about David Lashville because we can go all go day on. with him. We can go all day, but yeah. but you know, let's go into another photographer, mm-hmm. another male. I want to say, has Bruce Weber ever said he was gay? Uh, I think he has. Because in the interviews I've read, he said that he has loved both men and women. You know what? Today he still I'm lives with his say female he's partner, gay and he consuming. Uh, he's I, gay, y'all. He's gay. Yep. Let's just I say it. I said it. He's gay. He's a gay photographer. Bruce Weber is um, the purveyor of um, preteen YM centerfolds. 
in all yes. of the 90s. I don't know if you remember YM Magazine. Oh, yes. YM Magazine back in the 90s, because I just aged the hell out of myself, was a preteen girls magazine that was like the Cosmo for girls. But like every every issue, there was a centerfold of some like hot all-American shirtless boy. And I'm just like, this is Playgirl for teens. All true. And they were always shot by Bruce Weber. They were always Abercrombie and Fitch models. So Bruce Weber became, is very well known and very famous for shooting Abercrombie and Fitch ads. Yes, and, and we, Ralph Lauren ads. And if Ralph Lauren ads. But specifically, naked, fratty looking white man on a beach between 95 and 2009. And a soft gray so, yes. and white filter. And clothes so ugly they had to take them off the models. Yeah, they clo- they, 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 they just, the models are too hot to wear these ugly clothes. And to, to make this both personal and specific to me, <laughs> I, I, I would like to say if you are a gay man who was, you might be, you might be in your late 20s, early 30s, whatever, if you were a teenager in a pre-good internet, pre-smartphone time, and you needed to have a private moment yeah. in, your, in your bedroom oh, oh my, oh, with yeah. yourself, yeah. Like, and there were limited options. Or you might p- have gone to Abercrombie and Fitch, purchased something wretched <laughs> for too much money, and then enjoyed the shopping bag <laughs> that was full of... And these shopping bags... And look, I know that we have the internet now, y'all. Like... Gay teens now, you don't deal with this, but there was a time where you're like, ooh, I got to pay $30 for socks so I can get that shopping bag because there was a big old man on that shopping bag. Yeah. Or you just go to the store and just look at the wall and just save that for your like spank bank. But <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. But I just say that. I did right. just say that. I said a very dirty male joke. Oh, go God. on. I just felt so massive when I said that. That was really Butch. weird. It was yeah. so much, but um, Bruce, so yes. So Bruce Weber was, was <laughs> iconic. As biggest far as... tangent ever. So, but Bruce Weber what it um, was. Let's say was because his career is gone. We'll talk about that. But right. was iconic for that style. Now I will say this: Bruce Weber's beginnings. Um, I was watching another interview with him recently, and he said that his dad actually is the one that got him into photography. So mm-hmm. his dad used to take video and photography of his family on Sundays, and let, like they enjoyed themselves and like did all these crazy things, and he would always take video. Then Bruce started taking f- photographs, and he really enjoyed it. And also on Sundays, they would go to this painting class. It was like the one time they would bond every week at this painting class. And so he grew up with an artistic eye and art and um, the exercising of art around him, which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So even his early work, because he got famous from his early work. Like, he didn't just start off just being weird, but he got famous from his early work. I love that elegant burp you just did. Why'd you gotta call it out? I just, it was so elegant. She like burped silently. Lacroix's very it, fizzy. And then blew it out of the microphone. Keep going. Um, <laughs> but... His work was very photojournalistic, and he actually had black people in it. It was very interesting. I was very surprised. I was like, oh, my God, there's someone darker than the paper bag in his portfolio. In his very early pre-commercial work, yes, that's yes, true. Yes, but his style was about documenting life. Mm-hmm. And so on an artistic level and like speaking about his work artistically, he documented life. And even with Abercrombie and Fish, there was a photojournalistic aspect to the work he did. Now, I will say he definitely, his work, especially with Abercrombie and him, then going later in life in like, I want to say in the 80s and the the late 70s, early 80s, he started photographing young men more than like just the other stuff. He started, like that was like becoming more of his aesthetic. Um, That also was at a time where you're in the AIDS crisis. So he, he, he gave gay men a dream of being something that wasn't sick. Yes. And I think that's why he stuck around for so long. And to be more specific on that point, there was a time in which gay men were sick and 
pre-good HIV medication, there was a certain wasting away of gay men. Yeah. And a lot of the aesthetic you see of gay men in, say, the late 80s, early 90s, the ideal was to be not even just slightly muscly, like you might see a teen pop star doing now, yeah. but to be bulked up. Bulked up, real yeah. Real bulked up, even more than now, because not even just because of fashion or because muscles are hot because of whatever. It was to show that you were not dying. Yeah. It was to show that you were not wasting away from either HIV or the medication surrounding it. Yes. And the entire aesthetic of many gay artists of that time was about showing very bulky men doing mm. very butch things because, oh gosh, we have to show that they are not definitely dying. Yes, exactly. And exactly. many of them were. Exactly. And it's very interesting that you say that because, you know, it's so funny. We see... Especially now, I mean, bulking up and being muscular has become really back in vogue in the gay world. I mean, globally, has become really back in vogue. The return of circuit culture. It really is. But it's fine because I don't think they realize where that comes from. No. No, and that it really is. It is to show you are not dying. Yeah. Um, Wow. Good luck following that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we can always talk about Bruce Weber Ditlin people, so. Well, you know. (laughs) That is a good follow-up. Because <laughs> uh, we're like running out of time, but I don't want to not talk about this. I know we're not going to get to, but I want to say that, I'm just joking. Um, but, you know, in Bruce Weber's career, it came out in the news during the rush of Me Too accusations and stories, n- not calling out victims because I believe victims. Um, he has lost his contracts with Vogue, his reputation, and a lot of other contracts and campaigns because he was he has a history of being inappropriate with male models. Yes, and 15 of them have come forward in a recent New York Times article. 15. And yeah. you even have an experience where you so, heard about this kind of crap it's happening true. as a so young photographer. I was working for, you know, two nickels for oh, day rating. I know there are some cute people There's in some here. Cute people. Like <laughs> I would I was a photo assistant in New York 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and there were so many models, mostly straight ones, mm-hmm. who we're like, my agent said to go meet Bruce Weber for this test shoot. And the agent's like, you know what? He's going to touch you a little bit. But that's par for the course. And I'm not saying that's good in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what I am saying is that that was talked about in an acceptable way only 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Only, I mean, I remember, when I worked in fashion, I worked in behind the scenes. I worked more with working with the models when they get, to the, when they get on sets. So I was styling models. And I remember this kind of like, mood and talk and like direction to like you know get the model drunk you get them drunk i'm just like i'm not giving this 16 year old booze like yes that's just weird like i wasn't even drinking booze at 16 if she's not ready for it she'll need to be doing it and some of these specific bruce weber accusations are about him you know having the models be naked which might be necessary for the shoot concept but then doing breathing exercises naked with them in which there's Various touching. Look, I'm going to give him some numbers. I assume just by math, there were at least 5 billion people in the world in the 90s when he was doing these nude shoots. Find someone who wants to be nude. If yes. you can't find nobody, get another job. And my, my personal Think knowledge of concept. is that it was, it, there, there was an odd exchange of power where you could have found gay men that would be happy to consent to this situation. But ass naked. Type. Yeah. But instead... My understanding and my experience on set having talked to the models is that these models were not just coincidentally straight, but that he was choosing straight models. Yeah. And I'm speculating that that is intentionally forcing a coercive power dynamic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. And if so. you look at the I work. I remember that happening. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Like, why are you getting a straight guy to do some gay shit? Go get a gay person. You're in New York. 
And the, and so often his work from that time, it's about two either straight or straight looking ish presenting men, usually white men. Uh huh. It is them interacting in a way that you're not sure if they're going to make love or kill each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. it is about a sexual tension that you could argue is interesting photographically, yeah. but at the same time, like, it had problems. Yeah, very much so. Now, I will say, I'm going to wrap this up. At the end of the day, these two photographers definitely did something for the gay image. I will say David LaChapelle gave queer people a whole new form of existence and being proud of ourselves and living our lives in a colorful fashion. And without being problematic. And without being problematic. And Bruce Weber, I will say, definitely gave muscle gays a new form of life and a new existence without fearing death. I will give him that. You know what? You I will found give a him good that. way to bookend that. I will give him that. That but, was good. But people, we got to go. I love all of you so much. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for being here with us on the Beauty Archeo, your fashion comedy history podcast. Join us next week on Fridays at 1 p.m. here on Full Service Radio. I will see you later. Bye, y'all. And thank God, thank my uh, guest, thank Cassidy. Thank God for Cassidy Duhon. Thank God for Cassidy Duhon for keeping me sane. Um, but I will see you all later. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>